The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to The Steady Investor with Mark Vickery and Mitch Zacks. In our program today, we'll help you get started or continue to build your nest egg with some of the best practices for retirement planning. It's time to start right now. Here are your hosts, Mitch Zacks and Mark Vickery. Host Mark Vickery, joined today by the other co-host of The Steady Investor, Mitch Zacks, Portfolio Manager and Founding Principal at Zacks Investment Management. And today we're also joined by a special guest, Manish Jain, who is the Fixed Income Portfolio Manager at Zacks Investment Management. To both of you gentlemen, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Manish. Good morning, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. We know it's uh, noon, uh, the noon hour on the East Coast, but we're here in Chicago, so it's still still morning. Um, and lots to talk about. I mean, we're, we're out is. of Q3... Uh, the, uh, earnings season, pretty much, uh, except for some well, of the we're retailers. Coming, we're coming out of it. A coming out of, of it. We still show. saw we saw uh, Walmart today, right. a, a slight uh, sales miss, but Target was big um, uh, yesterday morning. So the retailers are kind of coming in a little bit mixed, as expected. Uh, or, you know, obviously right. we're through the through the uh, general election from last week. We also saw a lot of data points uh, coming out even today. Big moves in housing starts and yeah. jobless claims too. Housing starts in particular popped out at me when I was watching. Uh, the news this morning rose 25.5% in October to 1.323 million new housing starts. And that's interesting because it didn't really come off the building permits numbers from previous months. Right. Now, this is also for October. We're not talking necessarily about things that have happened in the right. wake of the election. No, that it's, it's very important to realize that you, there's a lot of focus on the presidential election, the effect of policy changes. But you have to realize the economy has a life of its own. And uh, it is definitely influenced by policy decisions. But for instance, the good jobs number, the good housing number, is just a result of the economy, uh, you know, coming back uh, from where it was, and it, essentially GDP growth uh, effectively uh, picking up. So it's it's important to understand what the policy implications are of the new administration. But it's also important to understand that the effects of those policy changes won't be. Uh, hitting the economy and uh, uh, effectively earnings uh, for quite some time. Okay. And uh, what, what you're going to see is essentially the seeds planted in the last administration uh, potentially come to fruition early in this uh, new administration. But Mark, let's get on to it. Uh, you had a couple questions about what's going on in the world, in the U.S. and things of that sort. Oh, sure. I've got plenty of questions. Okay. Uh, well, I was, was going to talk about, first of all, oh, so we're not really okay. going to focus on jobless claims. I don't think the jobless number is that, because I, I think it, it's there. It was, uh, you know, they were the lowest they've been in quite some time. Housing starts are a little bit higher than what they've been. And I would attribute it to just the uh, effective uh, recovering of the economy. The okay. rally we've seen in the market since Trump was elected, though, has very little to do with the good jobless number and the good housing number. Because they're from the past. It, it, right. It really is have to do with uh, with the policy changes. Yeah, you, ha you have to understand with the equity markets that when you see it uh, moving, 
especially in response to the macroeconomic data, the movement is usually already reflected in the prices because the low jobless number is going to be reflected in increased consumer spending, which is going to be increased in uh, increased retailer earnings and things of that sort. So you're going to see the effect of a low jobless number or a strong housing number in the earnings of the corporations that create houses and the earnings in corporations that benefit when people who didn't have jobs uh, have jobs, consumer staple companies, uh, retailers, things of that sort. So the, the real issue with the market movement, though, is not related to the economic numbers. It really is related to the perception of the policy changes and the effect of those policy changes in the future. And the market's a forward indicator. And I see you yeah. nodding your head, Manish. Would you yeah. like to add so to that? So one of the things here is that uh, housing is a little bit of a lagging indicator compared to where the rest of the economy has been. So economy has been improving. We have had uh, unemployment rates uh, come down, more and more people working, consumer confidence level has gone up. So when all of that takes in, uh, in effect, in a few months, that's when the housing picks up because people feel more comfortable. They have some money saved aside that they can now put on a down payment for a house. And now you're seeing that in the housing starts numbers. Right. Also, one of the things is people also start to take a look and say, okay, hey, you know, from July onwards, interest rates have been moving up. Okay, mortgage rates have been moving up. Mortgage rates just hit a 10 month high. Right. right. So people say, okay, you know what? I want to lock in. All right. I, want, I don't want to wait another year to buy a house right. when rates could be much higher. I want to lock in now. So part of the housing starts could be this pent up it, demand. It's pent up demand yeah. and also borrowing from the future. So okay. People say, okay, hey, rather than wait a year or two years and really buy a house at that time when I have more money saved up, you know what? Rates are going up. I, I do feel pretty good about my job. Economy is looking good. Let me just bite the bullet and buy it. The right. House right now. now, when the Fed raises rates, that's going to indicate that mortgages can again go even higher. Yeah, the mortgage there. rates are pretty much Manish priced off the 10-year treasury yeah. for the so most part. So the market is not even waiting for the Fed to raise rates. Right. Okay. So uh, we have had a pretty nice increase in interest rates from July onwards without the Fed really doing anything. Right. Okay. So Fed controls the short term. Market expectations are what's controlling the longer term. And those rates have already gone up. So for people who are looking to uh, get a 15-year mortgage or a 30-year mortgage, guess what? Rates have already gone up. Right. So, so, but do you now? Is this something that? At what point can you say, all right, it will? We will start seeing some tapering off of these uh, increased uh, mortgage rates, for instance, See, a, and other things like that. Or is it, it, is it difficult to tell because we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves? If the bit. economy continues to recover, uh, you're going to see interest rates continue to rise. Our expectation prior to the election was for the 10-year treasury uh, to be around 2.2%, 2.1% throughout all of 2017. We're already, Manish, where are we right now? We're, 2.2. We're at 2.2. So we've hit with the election what the expectation was based on econometric modeling of what interest rates were going to be in 2017. So the question is why are interest rates shooting up with a Trump presidency? And uh, Manish, I'll turn that over to you. You really follow the fixed income markets. But my initial reaction is that the policies Trump is proposing in terms of increased government spending, uh, decreasing taxes, and increasing potential tariffs have three real effects. Uh, increasing government spending will uh, you know, give a shot of uh, growth into the economy in the short term. Mm -hmm. 
decreasing taxes will increase uh, what the after-tax earnings are of everyone, and that will effectively cause them to uh, purchase more goods. And increasing tariffs has the uh, effect of increasing the price of goods. If you think about it, if we put tariffs on Chinese uh, exports, uh, Walmart prices are going to increase. Right. And so if you see the price of goods at Walmart going up, you're going to see inflation start to increase. Combined with the uh, traditional uh, fiscal stimulus of higher government spending and lower taxes, uh, you're going you're to see inflation start to materialize. And that's why there's this move on the fixed income side of increasing the 10-year rate. And also there's this movement into treasury and inflation-protected uh, securities. But Manish, I'll turn it over to you if yeah. you have uh, more to add yeah, Actually, I mean, just as uh, what Mitch just described here, uh, this move that we have seen over the last one and a half weeks, uh, the size of the move uh, is not surprising, okay, because the economy is getting stronger, okay? What is surprising is the how quick it happened. Okay, All right. right. So from the low of the year was in July, when on the 10-year Treasury, we were about 1.35%. And before the results were announced, on November 8th, the 10-year Treasury was at 1.8%. Right. right. So it went up by about 45 basis points or so. Okay. okay? And in the last week and a half, it's gone from 1.8 to, to, to 2.25, which so on another a percentage basis point is, is 40%, but it's a 20% increase in interest yeah. rates. So what happened over five months, we have seen that happen in a week and a half. Now, okay, the question so, is, is that overreact? So, and this is all due to Trump's policies. Right now, this is all due to Trump expected. Expected policies. Trump, okay, and that's the key thing that we need to be keep talking about is, okay, it's it a long way. Right. It's a long ways from the campaign trail to an actual government policy. Right, but the market okay. is reacting as if these policies are definitely going to be implemented and there's definitely going to be inflationary pressures. We're so, not seeing gridlock though. So You're not seeing gridlock. Yeah. And again, the, the, the well, let's let's focus on the inflation. Sure. We'll so, get to the gridlock so, in a second, Mark. The gridlock no, no is, because that's been my uh, call for quite some time is that the market wants gridlock. There's no gridlock and the market is going up. Uh, so what it's doing, in my mind, what's happening is the, the policy risk and the policy return is increasing. The risk of something going wrong is increasing, but the potential return of these policies impacting the economy uh, of having a positive effect is increasing. If there's gridlock, it's the, the policy can do no wrong, it can do no right. right. If there's not gridlock, what the market is saying right now is its initial gut reaction is that the policy changes that it thinks are going to be implemented are going to be beneficial for short-term economic growth. Okay. Now, what happens later on down the road, five years from now, four years from now, 10 years from now, it, it, it's not discounting. But it's saying in the immediate term over the next year, if Trump's policies, as he's uh, essentially uh, documenting them, are implemented, you're going to see an, an increase in, uh, in, in uh, inflation and GDP growth. But Manish, let me turn it over to you. Why do you think we've seen the, uh, why, why are we seeing a, you know, I said it's a 20% increase. It's gone from 1.8% on the 10-year treasury to 2.2%. What, is it all Trump's policy? It really is. It's all bond market expectations of inflation. Yeah, so bond market expectations of inflation. Actually, I was looking at some numbers here this morning. Uh, Five-year inflation expectation numbers are, the highest that we have seen in one year at 1.73%. We have seen the PPI and yeah. to the 2% level. And then obviously, uh, Yellen talking about uh, this morning that, hey, she's getting more and more comfortable about uh, raising, 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 raising interest rates. 
we have also seen international yields move up quite a bit in the last week and a half, two weeks or so. So, okay, okay. so, so would, would so, the international yields be going up in reaction to Trump? No, they're just driving off the U.S. Treasury. They're yield. just driving off the U.S. Treasury. So right. Now, that will still, uh, there's still enough of a gap between U.S. interest rates and where the rest of the developed world interest rates are. So the gap between U.S. and German... Uh, we're substantially uh, higher. We're substantially higher, okay? So Germany, uh, German tenure now is positive, but guess what? Our rates have gone up also. So in my opinion, that will put a limit or ceiling to how much more our interest rates will go up mm -hmm. because people will still say, okay, you know what? Even with all the interest rate increases and everything across the world, U.S. is still yielding the highest uh, among all developed nations, okay. and I'm going to continue putting money. Uh, in, it's something this. psychological. It's like it's very strange. Trump, through his administration, was able to accomplish like what Yellen was not able to do through pure monetary. This is exactly what Yellen wants. What Yellen she wants, wants the is curve low. To steep. It, it, she wants the curve to steepen. She yep. wants to be able to raise interest rates. She wants inflation start to materialize, and she wasn't getting there. Uh, just through monetary policy. Now there's this, uh, you know, this whole political brouhaha, and all of a sudden the market is getting exactly in the short term what it what it was looking for, which is inflation, higher interest rates, deregulation, all these things. This and, is this is why you have seen and this is why the stocks, market right the bank stocks have done bank very stocks, well. Right, they got they have a sloping yield curve. Yeah. They have a potential reduction in uh, regulation. Uh, they are going to be potentially allowed to lend more money at a higher uh, sloping yield curve. So they, they, people are going to give them deposits. They're going to actually potentially get money on their deposits, and they can yield out. They can lend it out at a greater difference in mortgages because mortgage rates are going up. Right. And so, so, and then they're they're, they're not going to be uh, as regulated as to who they can lend the money to. So the 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 conventional response or the the, the old administration's response was, yeah, this might help in the short term, uh, but in the long term, it may be sowing the seeds for uh, some of the issues we saw uh, with excesses in the financial system. So that- So, so with, again, it's, it's a magnitude and how quick yeah, this it's has It's amazing how quick it's occurring. Yeah. And it's amazing the, uh, the, the, the the momentum that's occurring. Yeah, so uh, just looking at some numbers here, since uh, uh, Friday before the election, Okay. Um, bank stocks are up nearly 17%. Which is unheard of. Which is unheard of. Uh, I mean, maybe you have to go back to 2009, near the bottom, right. March of 2009, uh, to see similar increase. So, but that was coming off huge lows. That was coming off huge lows, all so, sorts of issues yeah. of solvency. In it. So, so the fact that bank stocks are up 17% explains why you're going to have things like the Russell 1000 value uh, doing very well, which is overweight in bank stocks. It explains also why the Russell 2000 is doing very well, because in the small cap stocks, you're waiting on uh, sort of these uh, regional banking companies, just your your average two billion to four billion uh, size market cap uh, regional bank. They're they're doing extremely well because they're benefiting uh, from the yield curve and they don't have the international exposure uh, to be hit with potential tariffs. Well, part, part of also is uh, small caps had lagged yeah. the market, okay, yeah. so there was a little bit of a room for them to grow and earnings did come in uh, much better than expected also on the small cap. And uh, also one of the things is, again, we have talked about, uh, you touched on 
are there going to be any tariffs? Right. Okay, like like what happens to goods produced in China or right. India or Malaysia, which are or Mexico and coming to US? I highly doubt that there's going to be a trade war, but in case there is, and this is one of the reasons why you have seen tech stocks lag right. because like the, Apple and anyone who the has tech stocks are going to get hit harder than all the other sectors yeah, and, in trade tariffs, and so multinationals, if, especially. Yeah, multinationals. multinationals. So it's like if you look like it's very easy for China to say, we're not going to allow Facebook in the country. We're not going to allow Google to be the search engine in, in or, China. Or Amazon. Or Amazon. We're not going to allow, it's very straightforward for them. It's very easy, regulatorily uh, speaking, uh, for them to do that. And that could be the response uh, to the U.S. saying, we're going to put a tariff on uh, Chinese manufactured tires or something of that sort. And, and, and also, uh, as the U.S. economy grows, small cap companies are primarily producing here yeah. and selling here. Yes. Okay, so as the U.S. economy grows, even if the rest of the world is not growing as fast, uh, as the U.S. economy grows, smaller companies, which are more insulated here, have been the, one of the benefits. And this is, this is my real issue, is that if you look at the aggregate uh, revenue from the composites, of the stocks that comprise the S&P 500, uh, depending on how you calculate it, you get between 45 and 48% of the aggregate revenue coming from overseas. Mm -hmm. And uh, those are the, those companies tend to be tech companies, tend to be consumer staple companies, Coke, Pepsi, things of this sort. Uh, and the market is not right now pricing in a potential real decrease in trade. It's pricing in that nothing it's, is gonna- It's still a long ways to go. Right, it's seeing all the positive things, yeah. and it's not pricing in anything potentially negative in terms of the effect of yeah. trade. And, yeah, and again, as I said, it's a long ways from election trade right. to the so the, G the, the GDP, the, we have more imports uh, the, than we do have exports. So I think we're net importing, are we net exporting? We're, or we're, we're net importing. And we're this, net importing, it, right? This is one of the things is that dollar is at highest levels that we have seen. So it's going to be even long, harder long to make exports. It's going to be harder the, to make The effect of importing and exporting on GDP is not nearly as high as the effect of trade on multinational revenues. Well, I mean, it's it's been said that uh, uh, the amount of import, because of the rising dollar yeah. uh, and imports coming in, it, our GDP has been artificially lowered by about half a percent. Because uh, of the rising dollar. And the dollar is rising even higher because uh, Yellen is the first major bank or major uh, developed nation to be starting to raise interest, interest rates. Interest rates. That's yeah. going to cause the dollar to, to increase. So, so far right now, the dollar has hit this level of, um, uh, I think, uh, where we the were in, in 2014. Years or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's been hitting the ceiling has not really been able to break above it. If right. it does break above it, then it's a major but change. But those, those higher, the higher dollar, uh, the potential trade tra tariffs, all that is is a is what's causing this rotation out of larger cap U.S. multinationals into smaller cap companies. Okay, I think this might be a neat place okay. to end it for now. Got we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back and continue talking about this. this. is a very interesting discussion. We're with Mitch Zacks and Manish Jane from Zacks Investment Management. Thank you for staying with us. to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The Steady Investor Show is brought to you by Zach's Investment Management, a wealth management boutique formed over 23 years ago and manages several billions of dollars for thousands of customers. At Zach's, we believe acting in your best interest is our obligation. 
Zax focuses on providing solutions and listening to our clients' needs. With trust in the financial industry at an all-time low, we find this focus to be a key differentiator for our firm. We're based in Chicago and have a team of advisor representatives located across the country to help you with your retirement planning. Whether you need help with financial planning or looking for a second opinion on your retirement plan, give us a call at 800-245-2934. Or to learn more, go to ZimWealth.com. Again, that number is 800-245-2934. Or go to ZimWealth.com. Fast performance is no guarantee of future results. Potential for loss exists in any investment. Material is for informational purposes only. It is not investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice. A recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. No advice is given about a strategy's suitability for a particular investor. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to The Steady Investor. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to cgaitan at zax.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to The Steady Investor, sponsored by Zach's Investment Management. We're talking with Mitch Zachs and Manish Jain today. Um, Mitch is the portfolio manager and founding principal at Zach's Investment Management, and Manish is the fixed income portfolio manager. Uh, before we start our conversation again, or restart it, I should say, I wanted to say that for more information about how to best invest your assets for retirement, you can call Zach's Investment Management directly right here in Chicago at this number, 800 918 3114. You can discuss at length your risk levels and investment strategies that are best suited for you and your family. And if you'd like to get some more information, you can email us at info at zimwealth, that's Z-I-M wealth at uh, dot com, info at zimwealth.com, or visit our website at zimwealth.com. And Mark, I just anyone who calls into that number, what is it, 800-918-3114, right. uh, we can also give a uh, free copy of our economic outlook, which is produced on a monthly basis. And our strategy outlook, which is more of an outlook on where the uh, stock market is uh, being done, that's done by John Blank. Uh, but uh, if, if you'd like a copy of that, which we're referring to in the discussion, uh, to take a more in-depth look at where we see interest rates are going and things of that sort, uh, feel free to get, uh, to uh, call us at, uh, what is it, one 800 918-3114. But I, right. I'll these, turn it back to you. Then. No, it's okay. okay. I was going to say these are very comprehensive reports. It definitely would do an investor well uh, to yeah. to read up on on these um, on these reports. So it's very generous of Zach's Investment Management Management to offer these. Um, but let's get back to the discussion, uh, Manish. I wanted to address uh, some things with you. So we're looking at the post-election. We're looking at what's happened in its immediate aftermath. And I wanted to just basically open this up and and give me your initial thoughts on what do recent developments. Uh, do you see affecting the fixed income markets from here? Well, it's obviously a, a quite a bit of change compared to where we were mm -hmm. uh, just a few weeks ago or uh, even a week and a half ago or so. Uh, but let me just give some throw some numbers out to you and then I can talk about uh, uh, how clients should be reacting sure. uh, to, to this move here. Mm -hmm. So as I mentioned, uh, the 10-year Treasury has gone from a low of 1.3 in July up to 2.2. 
based on the chart patterns right now, we could probably see it go up to the, maybe the 230, 240 level uh, at the most before really strong resistance starts to come in. That's where you see it, 230, 240? Yeah, maybe another 10 basis points, 15 basis points or so. Okay. Uh, and on the five-year treasury, maybe another 10 basis points from where we are right now, from 1.7 to 1.8% or so. Where does that put us? Okay. Obviously, quite a bit of increase from where we were in July. Right. But people forget this is exactly where rates were in January of this year. In January, okay. Of January 1st, 2016. So, so okay. The difference is for the we, year. we had the market selling off. We had January the market about to sell off. About to sell off about in January sell from the higher interest rate. Yeah, yeah, because of the higher interest rate. Yeah. Okay, so at that time, the equity market threw a temper tantrum that, okay, hey, rates are going up. Right. This is going to really slow down the economy, and the equity market had a sell-off in January right. and February or so. Okay, so now economy is getting stronger, rates have gone up, equity market has, uh, have done well, right. but rates are exactly where they were on December 31st, 2015. Okay, yep. so no change. Okay, so don't think of this as we're in completely uncharted territory. Right. So no. essentially bond prices went up as rates fell, yep. and now they've come down, but they're about the level they were at at the beginning of the year. Yep. So if you were a bond investor, what you probably got was the coupon payment that yeah. you were going to get over the year, but you didn't get any price appreciation. You didn't get any price appreciation. Uh, but in the meantime, again, you got the coupon you payment. You got the coupon so, payment. So, so, so the returns on the uh, on the Barclays Ag, Ag yeah. on the AGG uh, is 3.08% year, year to date. date. Now, you talk to 9 out of 10 investors, and you would most likely investors would say, hey, fixed income investors uh, are losing money. Well, again, it depends on where right. you bought it's, it's, them. It's, and, and, you and, made money up until November. Starting in November, there's been a, a fairly strong sell-off. Yep. The, so, yeah. so, and LQD, which is the intermediate term corporate ETF, what is, is up about 6%. Okay. okay. So, well, how has LQD done since November? Do you have a, a it's, it's down a couple of percentage. Right. So it's about yeah. three, three and a half, four percentage points down from where we were just about a week and a half ago. Right. But even after that decline, yeah. we're You're still, still up at, 6%. And again, it's okay. because interest rates are about where they were. Interest when rates, the, when yeah. The, when so, the this is started. one of the things about holding on to individual bonds or, or of the bond funds is that, yes, the prices will go up and down, but you're still collecting coupon right. okay, uh, over that time frame. And uh, one of the reasons why uh, we don't tell investors to jump in, jump out, uh, just based on what the market anticipations are for the interest rates. Now, for clients and for uh, rising interest rates is both good and bad. Okay, If you are a borrower, obviously it's bad news Okay, because you know, your borrowing cost has gone up. Mm -hmm. Okay, That's right. However, if you're a saver, Okay. Right. Guess what? Your CD rates are going to be going up. All right. Okay. The money on your money market rates are going to be going up. So that is beneficial to you. Uh, for pension funds, this is a welcome news because they have 40, 50 percent invested in fixed income, which now they can readjust to take advantage of the higher interest rates or so out there. So there are pluses and minuses to the economy, to the consumers, to the corporations uh, from both the sides of the higher interest rates. I'm more willing to say that corporations have really borrowed quite a bit. They have taken advantage when the rates were really low. We have had record issuance over the last couple of years, every single year. Mm -hmm. So those guys have locked in rates. The U.S. government has locked in rates uh, for long term at these low borrowing rates. So most of this increase in interest rates will now really start to flow to the savers, okay, okay. instead of the borrowers. Okay, That's borrowers have made plenty of money here, uh, they're set. The savers are now 
who will now start to enjoy the dividends of this uh, rise in interest rates. So, for one of the one of the things uh, on the municipal uh, municipal bond side, okay, there has been a lot of talk about how much uh, personal income tax rates come down to. Okay, did they come down to 25 percent? Right, personal income taxes come down. That should hurt municipal bond prices. It's going to hurt municipal bond prices. Okay, okay. because it's going to make the attractiveness of municipal bonds less attractive. Now, okay. let's okay. So let's explain this. When you buy a municipal bond, you do not have to pay federal income tax on the bond coupon. Okay. So if the tax rate is very high, uh, you're going to willing to be paid more and more money uh, to get that bond. If the tax rate is very low, that advantage is worth less, so you pay less money uh, for the same bond. So there's sort of a tax equivalent yield, which is the yield that you would get after tax. Okay. And the, the, the basic belief is that the tax equivalent the yield, the yield that you would get after tax for municipal bonds should be equivalent, uh, the yield on the municipal bond should be equivalent to the tax equivalent yield. On yeah. corporate yeah. and yeah. Take, take into account the credit risk, credit and, risk and, and the liquidity. Like that, yes. uh, uh, and so, so if, the, if, the, if the tax rate goes down, that would put, ne- and it actually goes down dramatically. Uh, and we're talking about the personal income, personal income tax rate, not the corporate income tax okay. rate. The income taxes that people have to pay on interest payments they receive, which is taxed at the ordinary income tax rate. That has to come down substantially uh, for there to be effect on so, municipal bonds. And again, bonds. It, it's it's a long ways. Okay. Uh, uh, so if it comes down, if it comes down like five percent from like thirty eight percent at the highest rate to thirty three percent. It's not. It's much. not. It's not going to be uh, substantial. So it's. But there should be an effect of the tax changes uh, putting some downward pressure on municipal bonds. So if it goes from let's say thirty eight percent down to twenty five percent, right? Which okay. is probably more okay. likely, or at least. Legal. I don't I think mean, it's likely. I, I I would have to handicap that and say that when you're going to likely well i i would be very surprised i i don't think the uh the budget can the, the the federal budget can sustain a reduction in income taxes uh from 35% to 25% especially, unless especially uh, if spending especially is up if spending is up unless it's accompanied uh by substantial elimination of deductions so if they eliminate the mortgage interest rate deduction they eliminate charitable deductions and they say everyone has a flat tax of 25% over a certain income level. It's conceivable you could you could make back the money uh, that you get from the lower rate through the reduction in deductions. But the problem is Only all, further all these tax scenario, changes though. have all these groups that get very worked up. If you say that we're going to eliminate the mortgage interest rate deduction, the home builders will go absolutely nuts. The banks will go absolutely nuts. Everyone who sells mortgages, everyone who uses mortgages to help buy things. Regular homeowners. Regular homeowners will go nuts. So it's it's unlikely that there's going to be a, that substantial change. But I would agree with Manish that the potential for a lower ordinary income tax rate would put downward pressure on municipal bonds and also the potential for increased inflation, essentially. So now, if you are a again, large state like California or a large municipality, which is well known in the muni bond market, it's fine, okay? Uh, you can still sell out there. But if you're a small little town in downstate Illinois, sewer, uh, yeah, right. and no one outside that county knows you, it's going to be very hard for you to go out and sell your bonds. You'll have to increase the yield on the bonds quite a bit to have investors come in. Because the, and, the overall market's going to be declining in size and the marginal issuers are the ones who are going to get hit the most yeah. from the declining market yeah. size. So th- again, so this is, they have a strong lobby also, 
Okay, so it, this, this has been bandied about before, is that should we, uh, if we do cut the personal income tax rate, what happens to the muni bonds, okay? Uh, if you take away the muni exemption, what happens uh, to the market? And uh, the lobbying group from these small towns has been strong enough that they have offset that so far. But if that continues to happen, it is going to be more problematic for these smaller localities. Okay, uh, so the muni bonds are going to come under pressure. I expect muni bonds to come under some pressure, and we have seen that already right. happen. Uh, but again, it's a long ways. Okay, we we really what, need to see what the policies. What about are. Uh, okay? What about corporate bonds? What do you think is going to happen there? I think corporate bonds will continue to do pretty good right. uh, because uh, of the credit risk. Because of the credit risk, and also, uh, Trump is uh, is talking about the one-time amnesty of repatriation of right. the foreign-held cash. Okay, does that have any effect on the corporate? Credit risk? You think it does? I well, would say it's it does. just money here. It's okay. money here. Instead of money being I, outside, okay, it's not going to have much impact on the dollar because right. it's already in treasuries. But you think it would have an effect on the the, the uh, corporations yeah. that have repatriated the money? Yeah. Uh, so they can say, hey, like Apple can say, hey, instead of two hundred billion dollars in overseas, overseas, we have it in the we U.S. Here, so our bonds are have greater uh, credit uh, quality yeah. uh, because we don't have to worry about deduct the effectively the cash level increases the because cash the, level of it's the, the tax equivalent of the foreign cash yeah, so, uh, yeah. increases, which makes the credit quality increase, which should help. Put, should uh, help the corporate, corporate bonds. bonds. Yeah. Uh, treasuries, what do you think is going to happen there? Uh, I think longer-term treasuries continue to come under some pressure here, uh, but the impact will be not that much compared to what we've already seen, just because foreign investors will continue to buy. Okay, They will continue to buy our treasuries because we're yielding a lot more than what the rest of the world and is the scene is okay. So we're okay. So just let's put this in perspective. The uh, German uh, euro bonds are yielding what? Do we have a number? Uh, let's see. I had that here. Give okay. Me one second. Okay. They, so they we're, were negative. They were negative for quite some time. And what are we at right now in uh, Germany? Right now we are at uh, uh, the the ten year bond on the German is 029 percent. Okay. We, we were down to 0.2 percent. Okay. So ne negative 0.2 percent. Right, right. So you're yielding 0.29 percent. And in the U.S., you're yielding about 2.25. 2, 2, 2, 2, 2, 2, 2, 2, 2. So 2% so higher. You're getting 2% higher, and which do you think is a greater credit risk? Of course, Germany is a greater uh, potential credit risk because of the potential dissolution and the of dollar the European getting Union, stronger. and the dollars are getting stronger. So the issue is that if there is, if the new administration does start issuing more debt, there seems to be worldwide very strong demand uh, for U.S. debt. Uh, simply because it's it's a higher quality than most of the other countries, almost uh, all the other countries, and uh, it, it's a higher yield at this point. So there's, I, I look at this and say, well, uh, that the reason uh, German debt is so low is because they really are looking for no inflation in Germany, and if there is inflation in the U.S. and you're seeing low, uh, you know, increase in wage inflation in the U.S., that's going to have to eventually. Uh, occur uh, globally, and you're going to start seeing interest rates around the world uh, start to pick up. But that's exactly what the world was looking for. Right. A little, it, it, a little it, bit it, of inflation it, is it, good. It needs some degree of inflation. The concern, yep. if you talked to us six months ago, we would have said the problem is there is absolutely no potential uh, trigger for inflation. And without this trigger of inflation, you're, you're going to have uh, muted GDP growth, muted earnings growth. You need some inflation for the uh, for the society to work because companies need an incentive to invest. 
If right. prices are not increasing, the company does never has to invest in capital and equipment. It never has to hire anyone. It just sits there and everything is just completely stable. As soon as prices start increasing, they have to start investing because they're they're able to now sell goods. They produce the good today. They wait, uh, you know, they sell it tomorrow, and it's a slightly higher the price. Opportunity the opportunity cost increases. The opportunity cost increases of just sitting on the cash, yeah. essentially. And that's that's what's been uh, hurting Japan for the last 20 years. Right, is that they the had no inflation, inflation, lack of inflation, low interest rate environment. Yep. Cash uh, amounts in Japan were just sitting there. They were not being deployed. There's no reason to. And so now with higher inflation, you have to start moving. So the company that has... X hundred billion dollars or, or Apple that's sitting there, you think, with about 250 billion dollars yep. in cash. Right. Uh, inflation will, will will destroy that over time. If there's a 3% inflation, after 10 years, that cash will be worth 140 billion dollars. Yeah. Okay. So what, what they have to do is uh, they have to deploy the cash to now just keep pace with inflation. So inflation will, exactly what Manish said, increase the opportunity cost of holding money and it will force these companies uh, to start to deploy it. If you can actually get inflation higher than interest rates, it will even force it even higher. Well, then the Fed is in a catch-up mode. Then the Fed is in a catch-up mode, but the company is sitting there with the cash. They're saying, well, if we invest in the treasuries, we will, uh, you know, the cash level will decrease over time relative to inflation. But if we build the company, if Apple starts to invest the $200 billion, however they want, they can now keep pace with inflation. A good portion of it is going to be also return of capital and yes. dividends or yes. share buyback that a lot of but, these companies uh, are right. doing. But it would... For us, for the U.S. economy to grow, you need some inflation. We need inflation, and we really need these companies to start spending, uh, spending on production facilities, on capital improvement, hiring people. Hiring. Uh, yeah. They here's what companies have been doing for the last three, for the last since the recession, corporations have been increasing their stock prices by doing three things: by increasing their dividend payments, uh, by issuing debt. So they issue debt and they increase their dividend payments. They'll issue debt and they'll buy back their stock or they'll engage in some sort of uh, merger and acquisition activity by issuing debt. Sure. And none of those three things in aggregate, if all the component stocks of the, as all the component companies of the S&P 500 start doing this, issuing debt and increasing dividends, issuing debt and buying back shares, and then just trying to buy a couple acquisitions by issuing debt, in aggregate, that doesn't cause growth to occur. And so the, the hope is that by having interest rates rise, those three areas of growth are being cut off. You can no longer issue debt and increase your dividend payment. And they're not areas of growth. They're areas of their ways for the company to increase their stock price. So for the management now to increase their stock price, they can't just issue debt and increase their dividend. They can't issue debt and buy back stock. They can't just issue debt and try and buy companies. They have to now start to grow the company. And we'll see. Time. We'll talk about how they go uh, after this uh, after this uh, message from our sponsors. Are you listening to The Steady Investor, sponsored by Zach's Investment Management? We'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. The Steady Investor Show is brought to you by Zach's Investment Management, a wealth management boutique formed over 23 years ago and manages several billions of dollars for thousands of customers. At Zach's, we believe acting in your best interest is our obligation. Zach's focuses on providing solutions and listening to our clients' needs. With trust in the financial industry at an all-time low, we find this focus to be a key differentiator for our firm. We're based in Chicago and have a team of advisor representatives located across the country to help you with your retirement planning. 
Whether you need help with financial planning or looking for a second opinion on your retirement plan, give us a call at 800-245-2934. Or to learn more, go to ZimWealth.com. Again, that number is 800-245-2934. Or go to ZimWealth.com. Fast performance is no guarantee of future results. Potential for loss exists in any investment. Material is for informational purposes only. It is not investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice. A recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. No advice is given about a strategy's suitability for a particular investor. You are listening to The Steady Investor. To reach our program today, please call one 866 472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to cgaitan at zax.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to The Steady Investor. We're speaking with Mitch Zacks and Manish Jane from Zacks Investment Management. And uh, it's been a fascinating conversation, really. It's a, we're bo- basically focused on post-election investment advice, for, uh, for individuals, but also for companies. We're, we were talking a little bit, uh, Mitch, before we went to break, about how issuing debt was the way to grow the businesses. Yeah. And now that is with uh, interest rates going up uh, and a number of other things we're seeing uh, growth occurring, we have been, uh, we're seeing a shift now in, the, in how to grow. Uh, on the corporate side. Yeah, I want to make a distinction. It's not, uh, issuing debt was not how to grow the company. It was how corporate management was increasing their stock price. my mistake. So what they would try and do is they would issue debt and then they would pay a dividend. Right. And they would increase their dividend and that would cause their stock price to go up. So they were growing the company. They they, they weren't growing the company. I mean, what, what management really wants to do and what they're incentivized to do is not necessarily to grow this uh, giant entity they're in charge of. It's to increase the value to shareholders, right. to increase the stock price. So they were issuing debt and increasing their dividend payment to increase the stock price. They were issuing debt and they were buying back shares to reduce the shares outstanding to increase earnings per share. And the P multiple stays the same or increases a little bit, increases the stock price. Mm-hmm. Or they were trying to grow by issuing debt and buying uh buying uh, companies. So they issue debt, they have a low cost of debt, they buy a company that can generate a higher rate of return, that's going to increase it. And one of the reasons is that uh, issuing debt was cheaper. It was than cheap. It was what very, the, very what cheap. The interest were. rates were, were, were are, are still lower than what it is. So if the interest rate, if the corporation can get a something that generates a 4% return on investment in actual cash on cash return mm-hmm. and they can issue debt at two and a half percent they can make an extra one and a half right they can make a uh, you know do it all day long, do it all day long. so mm-hmm. they're going to continue to do that they'll issue the debt at two percent they'll invest it at uh, you know five six percent or something like that try and uh, cover their cost of capital uh, on the debt side and so this has been this is the stocks the companies that have been engaged in this activity are the ones that have been rewarded right now in a rising interest rate environment, these three methodologies don't make as much sense. Okay. Okay. It doesn't make sense because dividends cease to be as attractive uh, relative uh, to interest rates as interest rates go higher. Uh, the cost of issuing debt increases because interest rates rise. So you can't uh, gross up the earnings per share by buying back the shares and issuing debt. And the acquisition cost uh, also uh, tends to increase because the debt servicing cost tends to increase. So what, what's going to happen is the corporations that did not do this, 
will start to benefit more in a growing interest rate environment. And uh, overall, if you start seeing the economy pick up, which is what we are seeing, we're seeing equities do relatively well. Okay. So, so what, what, what's likely going to happen is you're going to see those areas of the, of the market, uh, such as utilities, uh, come under tremendous pressure. I mean, utilities were tr trading at P multiples that were higher than where they've been historically, and they're trading at a higher P multiple uh, than where, the where, where they are relative to the market historically. Utilities were very expensive. Right. Now interest rates start to rise, utilities start to come down. And so what, I, what we're likely to see is that if this trend continues, where we're going to continue to see increase in spending, reduction in, uh, in taxes, uh, and companies starting to deploy their cash, uh, you're going to start to see growth occur in the short term, and that's going to be beneficial for the U.S. equity market. And the question really is the people who have been hit with the most pain since the Trump election have not been equity investors at all. Uh, what people were, were, were somewhat expecting. What really has happened is the fixed income investors, uh, which, uh, you know, Manish said, they, they, these are down three, four percent. Some of these instruments right. uh, are, are the ones that are getting hit the, hot, uh, the hardest. And I think it's very important for fixed income investors to realize the key at this point in time is to pursue a strategy where you own a bond to maturity and you try not to react to the changes in the interest rate environment. If we really are in sort of the next tier of the bond market, which is a rising interest rate uh, environment, right? Uh, and uh, you know, bond interest rates got up on the ten-year uh, Treasury to, to 10, 12, 15 percent in the 1980s, and then they fell essentially through 2016 for about 20, you know, 20, 30 years. Uh, if we are seeing a 20 or 30-year period where interest rates start rising. Mm -hmm. to get interest rates back to uh, where they've been historically, which I would say is about 3 to 4% on the 10-year treasury. Uh, if you continue to buy a portfolio of bonds, you're going to continue to get hit with negative returns. So if I buy a portfolio of 10-year bonds and interest rates rise, I'm going to lose money on that 10-year. Now they become nine-year bonds, I sell them and I buy another group of 10-year bonds and interest rates rise again, I lose money. So I continue to lose money if I keep the duration or the maturity of that portfolio constant in a rising interest rate environment. Okay. If, however, I buy the bond and I hold it to maturity, if there's no credit effect, I know exactly what annualized rate of return is. I know that if I buy a 10-year treasury and I hold that 10-year treasury to maturity, I will generate... 2.2% annualized return, hands down, no guaranteed, risk. no risk. So I know that if I buy the 10-year bond, I hold it to maturity, I am guaranteed a 2.2% annualized rate of return. That might not be very high relative to where inflation is. It might not be very high six years from now relative to where short-term interest rates are. Right. But I know I have that locked in. If, however, I buy the 10-year bonds, I roll them down a year, I sell them, I buy another 10-year bond, I roll it down a year and I sell it and I keep doing this year after year, uh, that I could lose money over a long period of time. Whereas, and the reason where you're guaranteed not to lose money on a fixed income strategy that buys treasuries and holds them to maturity. But if you sell the treasury, you'll sell it for below the principal of the amount that you paid. So it's very important. And, and in bond mutual funds, that's what the bond mutual fund manager is trying to do. The, if you go to a 10-year or a duration match, 7 to 10-year uh, maturity investment, they do not buy the 10-year bonds and ride them down to two years. 
because their their mandate is to keep seven to ten years in maturity. So they will buy the ten years, and when it becomes a seven year, they'll buy some more ten years. And in a rising rate environment, it's possible for fixed income uh, to do relatively uh, poorly. Whereas it's it's I don't want to say impossible, but it's very unlikely if you buy the the security and there's no credit risk and you hold the security to maturity that you're never going to lose any money. The issue is what you lose is sort of the opportunity cost of that money. So the reason that bonds are falling in value is because interest rates are rising. And if you sold that bond and invested in a, in a short term rate, you might actually get a higher rate. Okay. Uh, but it, it's very important, and I'll turn it back uh, to Manisha a little bit, that on the fixed income side, whenever possible, we try and own individual bonds and we try to hold them to maturity in sort of a laddered bond approach. And this is an ideal fixed income strategy in a rising interest rate environment. What you don't want to do in a rising interest rate environment is own a uh, fixed income mutual fund. Okay. Where there's uh, no transparency on what's going on, there's opaqueness, and you're, you're, the manager is constantly selling and buying more longer duration bonds. Yeah, and this is one of the things that we had seen over the last couple of years, is that because interest rates had been coming down, uh, people who needed income were either extending out duration mm-hmm. to capture any yield, or they were going lower on the credit quality side. Okay. And we had been steadfast on uh, in refusing to do yes. that for our clients uh, because they both carry risk. Uh, credit risk is definitely important in case the companies go bankrupt, and we have seen uh, uh, bankruptcies at uh, multi-year highs uh, right. in, over the last 12 months or so. And now people are figuring out what duration risk is. Hey, okay. long-term bonds can suffer, and especially if you have closed-end funds, which are leveraged, if yes. you have open-ended mutual funds, which are buying long-term bonds, Hey, you know what? You 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 got that nice yield, but now you see the flip side. So, if you own individual bonds that are going out ten years, yes, you have seen a drop in value, mm-hmm. but that does not change the interest income that you are receiving and the total uh, return you receive if you hold it to maturity. If you hold on to it until maturity. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, what we have done for our clients, okay, uh, on the individual bond side, is we have created a ladder where we go out up to five years, six years, depending on the client, and every year we'll have some bonds mature. So we're now able to take advantage of, as these interest rates are going up, that we know that for a certain client, it could be 15 to 20% of their money coming due in the next six months, which now we can reinvest at higher rates. And there is no loss of principle for the client. Right, so you so, make money and also minimize risk. You, right. Well, minimize it, risk. It's not, I mean, but the key issue is that what you're not doing is you're not constantly saying, we need to keep a maturity of uh, 10 years out there and buying the 10-year bonds and selling them when they're nine years and buying more 10-year bonds. Right, right. If rates keep going up, you're going to lose money on every one of those trades, okay? Because you, you're going to buy it at 10 years, rates are going to go up, the 10-year bond is going to be a nine-year bond, it's going to be worth less, you're going to sell it for less than you bought it, and you're going to keep doing it. So you buy a bond today knowing that interest rates are still going to go up, but you hold it to maturity and that way you at least lock in You that lock day. in that rate of return. So yep. you're guaranteed, so you know... What we try and do is on the fixed income side of our business, we try and preserve capital. Right. We don't want to try and generate higher than uh, yeah, high rates of return on the fixed income side. And in a low interest rate environment, that's a very, very good strategy to have. Right. People who have been trying to investors have been looking for return on the fixed income side of their portfolio. I need a yield of 5%. I need to generate a 7% fixed income yield. 
if they're still searching for this while interest rates keep rising, they're going to get hit very hard. And you've seen that. Uh, what we've seen in the bond market is it, it's come down. You see, Manish, you were saying the ag has come down about 3 to 4% yep. uh, in a course of two weeks. Yeah. Uh, and that's from going from 1.8 uh, to 2.2. To yeah. Imagine it goes from 2.2 to 3. Right, you're going to see a higher rate of raise. So again, looking at historical bond returns, you're going to be like, well, I look back all the way back to 1985, and da 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 da. You're not going to see a very bad year for bonds. But there are these periods of time of rising interest rates when fixed income will come under pressure, and it's very important what Manish is doing in this instance, which is buying these bonds and holding them to maturity instead of trying to get an extra rate of return by going right. out. So what 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 is really going on in the market is that you're seeing this rotation out of fixed income into equities based on the expectation of a rising interest rate environment, based on the expectation of higher inflation, all caused by the psychology, the psychology of the presidential election. It has nothing to do, yes, there are policies, none of them have been enacted, you don't know if they're going to be enacted. It's all based on the psychological belief that this change is going to result in this activity and the traders moving to anticipate it. And it reminds me of something that you've been saying, this is previous to the election, yes. by the way, that uh, strong in investors' minds has been the last time we had a, an economic fallout yes. when the Great Recession happened. It's only eight years ago. So if we see this uh, exuberance in equities come back and we see deregulation in Wall Street come back and these kinds of things, that increases, I don't know to what extent, much risk in the equity market. Need, so fixed income yes. is still uh, highly important to have in a diversified every portfolio. Every policymaker, every regulator of a bank in the country who is in their position lived through most likely that 2008 crisis. Right. And you need th them to kind of, that psychology to come out of the system and for it to occur. And the, the concern is, well, if that happens, then you're going to just set yourself up for another financial crisis. And I don't, I don't believe that's the case because I believe that the financial crisis we saw in 08 was not necessarily, the, there, were, there were instances where deregulation uh, contributed to it, but it wasn't deregulation caused the financial crisis. It's, it's something that occurred organically and occurs organically in our system every 40 to 50 years. And it will occur sometime at the next 50 years, but it's unlikely to occur over the next five to 10 years, simply because of psychology. The, the whole thing that's occurring is that the election changed investor psychology to expect growth, to expect inflation. And as a result, traders and portfolio managers are adjusting to it. Now, this creates an issue for the market in that are these expectations are going to, are these expectations going to be met? Right. right. Right now, the market is pricing in increased government spending. It's already pricing in a reduction in, in taxes. But it's already doubt about that, it'll price it out. <laughs> then, then as soon as it, so right now what I think, my gut reaction is the market is overestimating the uh, policy effects of the new administration. And it seems to be focusing on the positives much more than any potential negatives uh, that could materialize. Tariffs and that and I tend to want to wait and see actual movement in earnings okay. before I start to respond dramatically. So I don't think now is the right time to just jump on the bandwagon and say, listen, sell all your utility companies. Right. I do think that if you're 
methodology of selecting stocks is based on earnings estimate revisions and utilities are not getting upward earnings estimate revisions, you underweight utilities. Or if it's based on valuations and utility stocks are getting higher valuations, you underweight them. But you don't want to just pull right into the uh, vicious, and it really is a vicious sector rotation that we've been seeing occurring. Okay. I'd hate to end it here, but we have to. Uh, you've been listening to The Steady Investor, sponsored by Zach's Investment Management. From Mitch Zach's and Manish Jane, I'm Mark Vickery. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in this week. Be sure to join Mitch Zacks and Mark Vickery for another edition of The Steady Investor next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you haven't started your retirement plan yet, what are you waiting for? again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management